My name is Rob. I'm a pastor here. It's good to see you this morning. Um, we have two more sermons left in our series, Glorify and Enjoy. And during these uh, sermons, what we've been doing is looking at the verses that undergird, that inform our mission statement. This is going to be the Sunday where I don't say the mission statement because you have heard us say it every Sunday, all right? So I'm not going to say it. It's on your worship guide at the bottom. I promise I'll say it one last time next week for you. But last week, Matt talked about grace-filled worship. This week, we're going to talk about grace-filled community, and then we'll end next week on grace-filled mission. I think also this might be the last week where we have our uh, Woodson Theater production uh, stuff around, all right? So we're going to have to probably say uh, goodbye to Little Shop of Horrors. I was thinking this morning, we're talking about church and community, and we've got Little Shop of Horrors. Depending on your previous year's experience and previous church experience, you might be like, yeah, that's, that's kind of appropriate. I don't know where you're coming in from when you think about church and community. Uh, we do need to see that to understand the message of Christianity, we have to understand community. We have to understand that when we come to Christ, he brings us into community, that Jesus is building a community. And also the reality that when we look out the world out there, and, and honestly, if we probably look at some of our lives, they might be barren of meaningful, rich community. And the warning signs and the dire consequences are really there for all to see. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to, to dive into our text. Hey, um, before I pray for us, let me tell you this. I'm not feeling 100%, all right? And every reflex in me doesn't want to share that with you, all right? But on a morning when we're going to talk about vulnerability and community, it would be both ironic and unhelpful to try to pretend like I'm feeling okay, all right? So I'm going to pray for us. I'm also going to pray for uh, those who I shook hands with during the passing of the peace. And uh, I'm going to pray that God would speak to us through his word. So pray with me. Father, I pray uh, for your strength um, as we look at your word and as I preach from your word. Uh, I pray you for all of those who are, are not feeling this well this morning that you would restore health. And more than anything else, um, we need to see Jesus. We need to see how he connects us to you and how he connects us to each other and how he frees us to move into community. So help us to see Jesus this morning, we pray. Amen. I said earlier that the warning signs, that the dire consequences of a culture and a context devoid of community are, are really there for all to see. Here's a couple ways that you could see them. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, maybe you've looked at the Washington Post recently or the New York Times. You've read an article by our nation's top doctor, the Surgeon General, and he's writing about this epidemic of loneliness and the consequences to our health because of that. You could go to the Department of Health and Human Services website, and there you will find a 68-page report, and here is its title. Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, the U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory on the Healing Effects of Social Connection and Community. All right, so we've got a national issue when it comes to loneliness. 
our nation and our city. January, the National Chamber of Commerce, they always do these rankings of cities, different categories. You want to know the loneliest city in America? Washington, D.C. Loneliest city in America. All kinds of reasons for this. One, I found out uh, more people live alone in our city, in our area than anywhere else in the country. Think about the State Department, the military po uh, politics. You got people moving every three or four years, all right? I know I'm talking to you, you know, I'm hitting close to home. Um, that just makes it hard for community. And you add to that our city's uh, idol of reputation and status, and so we keep people at a distance. Community is hard. Um, our nation, our city, some life stages are just hard when it comes to loneliness, all right? Um, middle schoolers, high schoolers, like those are just lonely years. Like, does anyone really see me? Does anyone really know me? Like, I remember them as lonely years long, long ago when I was in that life stage. And I can't imagine what it's like to be a teenager now. Like when you can literally pull out your pocket and see what everyone else is doing while you're not there. You know, when I was in eighth grade and I, wanted, and I wasn't in school and I wanted to know what other kids were doing, here's what I could do. I could walk outside and look around, or I could use my house phone. How do I explain this? <laughs> a house phone is a phone that doesn't belong to an individual and can't be moved, all right? It just stays there. I could use my house phone and I could call my friend's house phone and maybe they were there or maybe they weren't there or maybe someone was on the phone, all right? And I couldn't get through because they didn't have that, you know, they weren't wealthy, they didn't have call waiting, all right? And so... Those were the only ways I could find out what my friends were doing uh, and what I was missing out on. Literally, as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, you can pull this phone out of your pocket, check all the images of dozens of your classmates. And the irony is, in this season of digital connectedness, we just have record high rates of teen depression and anxiety and loneliness. So, so what's our hope? What's the hope for our city? What's the hope for our teenagers and other life stages too? Young adults, retirees, these can be lonely seasons. What's our hope? As a church, we believe that the answer is Jesus. That when he comes, he's building a community. When we come to him, he's turning us into community. And I don't know what you thought when you read these verses this morning, when Chin Chin read them for us, like, what's Rob going to do with that? What's up there? We're going to see from one of the most unlikeliest of places Paul is writing lessons about community. He's teaching us about what community really looks like and the difference that it makes in our lives. So if you want a roadmap for this morning, we're gonna see how Jesus connects us to community and Jesus frees us to live into community. Jesus connects us and Jesus frees us to live into community. Let's start with Jesus connects us. All right, <clears throat> start with the first few words of our passage, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Let's stop there. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Remember, I always say context is important. You've heard me use that lesson before. I can say the word grave digger, and I might be talking about someone who creates holes in the ground, and I might be talking about a monster tr truck, right? Like context is key. So what's the context here in these verses that we're reading? This is the letter to the Philippians. Paul is writing 
to a church, a community of Christians living in the ancient city of Philippi. Not a fairy tale place. You can go to the ruins today in Greece. He's writing to this community of Christians. But what's important, that's who he's writing to. But where is he writing from? He's writing from a prison in Rome. We're looking at lessons on community this morning from someone who's actually in isolation, from someone whose um, uh, you know, movements are restricted, from someone who's sitting in prison. That's the context. That's what we're looking at. Um, here's one reason why it's important for us to understand this context, because uh, we need to see when we talk about Jesus connects us, before we talk about how Jesus connects us with others, we need to see that Jesus connects us with God. Because the true source of our loneliness, the loneliness out there and the loneliness in here, the true source of our loneliness, it doesn't begin with our separation from other humans. It begins with our separation from God. We are disconnected from God. Remember the larger story. Go all the way back to the beginning. Start in Genesis 1 and 2, creation in the garden. Um, in the garden, zero loneliness. In the garden, zero disconnected, disconnectedness. Between man and woman and God and between man and woman, between themselves, there's zero disconnectedness. There's zero loneliness. And then Genesis chapter three. They decide to trust in someone else other than their creator. And in an instant, loneliness. In an instant, shame and hiding and blaming and fear enter in. And those things have been destroying community ever since to this very day. So we are disconnected from God and disconnected from each other because of the brokenness there and it runs through to this very day. How does Paul talk about this separation from God? We're in Philippians. If we go to his next letter over in Colossians, listen to what he says. He says, you were once alienated, all right? You were once separated from God and hostile, he says. That is hostile towards God, hostile in mind towards him, doing evil deeds and Jesus. Jesus has now reconciled us in God in his body of flesh and by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus connects us to God. And until we see what Jesus has done, we're not going to have what we need to move into community. Until we see in Jesus, we are forgiven and we have mercy and we have grace, then we can start to show that to others. Until we see we've been loved unconditionally, we're not gonna love others unconditionally. Remember, Paul's talking from prison. He's talking one from prison because he was talking about what Jesus did to connect us to God and how he can talk in verse 19 about having hope in prison is because he knows nothing can separate him from the love of God. Regardless what the circumstances are, regardless of what he's experiencing, even though he's in prison, he knows because what Christ has done, he cannot be separated from the love of God. Jesus connects us to God. Jesus connects us to others. All right, we're only five words in. We need to keep moving. All right, um, in this passage, we have Paul talking about a couple fellows, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's look at, let's take a little tour. What does he say about these two guys? Timothy, Paul, verse 20, I have no one like him. 
When it comes to my God, Timothy, I have no one like him. He has served with me. He is like a son to me. All right, friends, this is deep, intimate, familial language. You know what he doesn't say? Oh yeah, Timothy, that guy, yeah, we, we've hung out around each other a couple hours like every Sunday. I mean, yeah, he's a good guy. No. When it's talking about community, it's intimate, familial language. We have worked together. We know each other. Same when it comes to Epaphroditus, right? He's like a brother. Again, familial language. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. Um, for Paul, community and these relationships with these guys center on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what they're doing together on the mission of Jesus. We are here today, friends, February 14th, 2023 in Fairfax. We're here this morning because of what Jesus has done among us. This community, this church, Capital Press, Fairfax, it is centered on who Jesus is. So that means it's not centered on our ethnicity. It's not centered on our socioeconomic status. It's not centered on whether we're married or we're single or we're divorced. It's not uh, centered on where we land on uh, public policy decisions. A couple of fellows I've been talking to the past uh, number of weeks, these two guys, I love it. Um, they have hitched their wagons professionally to different political candidates, different political campaigns. But they got together, you know, a while back to share a drink and just remember, hey, we might be working for different political candidates. We might be supporting different campaigns, but that doesn't separate our brotherhood. Our brotherhood's not threatened by that because it's centered on who Jesus is. It's centered on his work. And, and that's what the gospel means. That's how Jesus connects us. All right, so you might be a member of political communities. You might be a member of sports communities, ethnic communities. But when you come to Capitol Press Fairfax, you're coming to a community that's centered on grace on the reality that we all admit our need for grace. We do it every Sunday in our confession and that we are all being formed by grace. That's what this community is centered on. That's how Jesus connects us. Jesus connects us to God and to others and then Jesus frees us. Let me talk about a few ways that the grace of Jesus frees us to move into community. All right, one way Jesus frees us to move into community, he, he allows us to move into co community with vulnerability. Look at Paul. All right. If you look at the next chapter, chapter three in Philippians, Paul's gonna have a little resume chat. If you look there, he, he starts to go through his, all of his accomplishments, his ethnic lineage, his, his religious performance. He, has, he just kind of gives like his spiritual LinkedIn profile right there. And then he says, you know what? That's not really what it's about. He says, what it's really about is the fact that Jesus not only took my penalty, but Jesus gave me his credit. Here's what he says. He, Jesus gave me his resume, his righteousness, not a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying God's law, but the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. And here's how that leads to vulnerability, friends. Because he trusts in that righteousness and that resume, he doesn't have to walk around constantly showing his resume to others. 
He doesn't have to constantly walk around measuring up, leveling up, proving himself to his classmates, to the 11th graders at your high school, to the people that you work with, that you're enough. Because he knows because of what Jesus done, has done, he's enough. So like he could admit his faults and his flaws and his failures. He can say, listen, I am not perfect. I am weak. Washington, D.C. friends. He can say, I am needy. And I have needs and I have help. I need help. There might not be anything harder for some of us to say that I need help. But Paul makes it clear, even in our verses this morning, Paul, Paul makes it clear. And maybe you don't think of Paul, when you think of the Apostle Paul, as vulnerable, right? Like maybe that's not the first word that comes to mind, but it's one, it should be one of them, right? Like maybe you think, oh, well, Paul is really like this spiritual Jason Bourne or Jack Ryan, you know? Like he's, he's on these missions in the Mediterranean, he's dusting stuff up. And sure, there's that, but <clears throat> Paul regularly speaks with very affectionate language, he regularly speaks about his emotions. Did you see in, our, in these verses this morning? He talks about sorrow after sorrow. He talks about lessening his anxiety. He is, he is an emotionally attached and mature man that's not afraid to talk about his, his feelings or his need. The only reason we're talking about Epaphroditus is because he helped meet the need that Paul had. Hey, Paul's in prison. Guess what? When you're in prison, it's kind of hard to act like everything's okay. That's some of what we see in, in recovery communities, right? When you go to an AA meeting, no one sits in an AA meeting and tries to pretend like everything's okay. And somehow, unfortunately, in some church traditions and sometimes here, this turns into a place where we pretend like everything's okay. <laughs> where we tend like we've got, we're, we're well put together and everything is perfect. May it never be. May we admit that we are a needy people. May we admit that we are a vulnerable people. I pray for as long as I'm pastor of Capital Press Fairfax and as long as we're here, this is a place where pretending is not necessary. Jesus frees us to be vulnerable. Jesus frees us to be authentic. If we look at Timothy, you know, earlier in this chapter in Philippians 2, Paul says, actually, all Christians are supposed to have the mind of Christ who left heaven, came to earth, gave his life for others. That's what Paul's writing about. And then he writes about Timothy. And he says, actually, Timothy is one of those guys. He's authentically trying to follow Christ. He's trying to authentically live out this life. Jesus frees us to move authentically into community where we see Timothy's experience. Christ put my needs before his and went to the cross. So I can, I can put others' needs before mine. Listen to the way that Paul talks about him. Timothy genuinely cares about the welfare of those in Philippi. Others are out for themselves and not for the work of Christ, but that's not Timothy. I pray we would be a community that authentically tries to follow Christ and love each other that way. And, and we're not going to do it perfectly, all right? But by God's grace, let's move towards that. And I guess this is as good a place as any to say it. But I might be talking about church and community, and you're like, yeah, Rob, I'm just not buying it. 
Or I, actually, Rob, I'm not buying it again. Like I bought it one time and I moved into church community and I got burned. Like I got hurt. Fair enough. I know how it feels. I will say undoubtedly, some of my most hurtful experiences and some of the most devastating and painful words spoken to me were by people that I was on staff in ministry with. All right? None that work here, okay? Um, and my buddy Matt made this point earlier this week, and I think it's really helpful. Paul, when he writes these letters, he names individually over around 50 people. He like drops about 50 names. And some of them that he names, he says, yeah, that one betrayed me. That one, yeah, he, he abandoned me. But that doesn't change Paul's commitment to community. That doesn't change the fact that Paul still calls us to community and calls us to authentically follow Jesus and enter into it. Uh, Jesus frees us to move vulnerably into community, authentically into community. Finally, look at Epaphroditus. Jesus allows us to move tenaciously into community. I love my guy, Epaphroditus. Last verse of our passage. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's what's going down. Paul winds up in a prison in Rome. I don't know uh, what you know about ancient Roman prisons, all right? There's no Dementors there. Prison Mike's not there. But this is how ancient Roman prisons work, all right? You're not provided three square meals and a uniform, you got to cover your own expenses in the Roman prison. If you want food, someone's got to bring it to you. And so the church in Philippi heard, hey, our guy Paul's in prison. We want to help him out, make sure he's got food to eat, clothes to wear. I don't know how your ancient Mediterranean geography is. All right, Philippi, Rome. You know that song, I would walk 500 miles? Make it 800 all right, 800 miles apart. There's no Venmo, no Zelle. If they're going to help get him some funds to buy some food, someone's going to have to walk it there. And that's what Epaphroditus does. He signed sign me up, just so you have it in your head. That's like your friend in Orlando, Florida, and has a need. And you're going to make that hike. Epaphroditus does. He almost dies doing it. But to, that's the tenacity of his love for his brother. That's the tenacity of this community. That's the link that he's willing to go to. And I love how Paul says, men like these, verse 29, honor such men as these. Think about Epaphroditus. We don't really see him anywhere else in the scriptures. Don't really read about him. So all that we know is he has no real title. We don't know that he preached any good sermons or that he did any wonderful, miraculous deeds. You know what Epaphroditus did? He showed up. He showed up. Even though it was inconvenient and even though it was hard, he showed up. And I love that Paul says, yeah, it's men like that. It's women like that. Honor them. And here's the beautiful thing. To be like that, to show up, you don't need a degree. You don't need some special training. You don't even need to be adults, teenagers, kids. You can show up in your friends' lives, point them to Jesus, love them well.
Epaphroditus does this because clearly he has come into contact with one who showed up for him. Think about the tenacity of the love of Jesus. Jesus went much further than 800 miles. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Jesus went to the cross. That's the tenacity of his love for Epaphroditus and for you and for me. That's what leads us to love in this way. That's what leads us to be vulnerable, authentic, and tenacious. Those are the kinds of words we use around community here. That's, what, that's aspirational. That's what we are praying for because Jesus connects us and frees us. Um, let me end with some encouragement here. I had the privilege to be a pastor for our you know, three or four short years we've been together. I'm encouraged by the ways I have seen you show up for each other and show up for me and my family and show up for other families when they lose a loved one, when they get sick, when they're, when they're entering in the foster care system, showing up for them. I'm encouraged to see that. I'm encouraged that among our community, there's 13 community groups and some 170 of you, Stephen last let me know, some 170 of you are connected in these community groups, being known and being seen in this smaller setting. Stephen's going to be out in the foyer after our um, service and you can chat with him if you're not connected. Let me encourage you today, pray. Maybe for you, you need to be involved in some sort of community. Could be a community group, could be a men's group, could be a recovery group. If you need help searching out a community, talk to me, talk to Chelsea, talk to Stephen. Maybe your step is to move into and be involved in community. Maybe your step, you've been involved. And today the Lord's saying, hey, what would it look like to create community? What would it look like to create community among families of middle schoolers or among young adults or among retirees? What would it look like for me to move in and just start building community where vulnerability and authenticity and tenacity can be there while we point people to Jesus? Would you pray for the Lord's direction on your next step for community? I'll pray for all of us now. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for sending your son to connect us, to reconcile us, to make us one, one with you and one with each other. And Father, honestly, trying to live into this kind of community is hard. That's why Paul had to write so many letters but yet we believe it's worth it. We believe you're worthy. And so by your grace, speak to each one of us about our next step in moving towards community, in building community, in investing in community, not for community's sake, but because it's there where we're reminded, formed by grace, pointing each other to you and your affection for us. So over these next days, over this week, um, over all the years that you are pleased to let this church remain in existence, may we be a grace-filled and a grace-formed community. Amen.